This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are all the way into Genesis chapter 20. We've made it, we've made it to the halfway point of the book of Genesis. That's an accomplishment. I have, since we've been doing these Bible studies in the morning, I've never actually been able to teach through the whole book of Psalms. It's a long book. It's 150 chapters, and we got to do that basically during the COVID time. And now we've gone to the book of Genesis. And the truth is, I've never talked through the book of Genesis either completely because it's a long book. And uh, this format gives us an opportunity to delve into some of those longer books, maybe some of the Old Testament prophets and things like that, that we just, if you teach them on a weekly basis, teach through a book of the Bible on a weekly basis, if you were to delve into them, it would take years and years to go through. And I know they've been done. Some of the great pastors in history have done that, but I have not. So I've got, to, I've got, I've got an opportunity to do that. And it's been a very good, very exciting. And so we're, we're still dealing with Abraham because Abraham is if you had to pick a, a figure in in the book of Genesis who is the primary figure of the book of Genesis, you would have to say it's Abraham because the most chapters are dedicated to his life. And, and his life is the beginning of the nation of Israel. It, he is the man of promise. He's the one who received the promises of God and his, uh, his legacy, his uh, prodigy, are the they're the children of Israel? They're the ones who who Jesus comes from and Jesus' line comes from. So obviously, he would be the most important figure in the book of Genesis. As we get to Genesis and deal with Abraham, as you see, Abraham is a great man. He is a man with he's a he's a five gift man. If you go by the parable of Jesus, where he came and to one of his servants he gave five gifts, to another servant he gave three two gifts, and to the last servant he gave one gift. And then he went on a journey and they put them to work. Well, the one who got one gift, he just hid it in the ground and he did not receive a, he did not receive an attaboy from the master when he came back. In fact, he received a, it was not an attaboy. It was bad. But the five gift person put his to work and got five more and the two put his to work and got two more and they both got the same reward he says well done my good and faithful servant because you've been faithful with a few things let me put you come and let me put you in charge of many come and share your master's happiness and what he's saying there is is that you use what god has given you by faith and uh, the reward is equal in the sense of your reward is going to be based off of your faithfulness and not off of the results. The results, in many ways, the results are determined by God. They, they're determined by his will and his plan. And when I say in many ways, in all ways, really. And you can trust God. You can trust God in the midst of those things. Abraham is a five-gift guy. He is He's a leader. He is wealthy. He is intelligent. He has everything going for him. He has that one thing that is an issue for his life in that he's not had a child with his wife. 
And, and maybe in this, you can see why that is a problem. And maybe in this passage, you can see why that's an issue. That being said, uh, even though Abraham accomplishes great things, even though Abraham speaks to God face to face, even though Abraham is a is a man of influence, of power, even though he's a man that that does the right things, all that does the right things as far as faith is concerned and trusting God, he is a man who at times has these lapses of faith and he has these lapses of character. And that makes him, in, in a real world sense, that makes him such a, in, a compelling figure. And the reason it makes him a compelling figure is because we, we can walk by faith. We can have all the great blessings of God. We can see God in his greatness and we can see him in his mighty power. We can see him at work in our, our lives and yet still be flawed human beings. And Abraham is a flawed human being. And he's, he's dealing with this King Abimelech who is a a king along the coast of southern Israel. He is a king that rules an area down there. We see in his dealings with Abimelech, he deals with him. Really what he does is he deals with him wrongly. And he's not transparent and he doesn't tell the truth. And Sarah, uh, in her younger years, was a very beautiful woman, woman. And so when she went down to Egypt, Pharaoh wanted her as his wife. Now, Sarah's an older woman, and you go, why does Abimelech want her as his wife? And uh, that's the issue. And I think you can tell why that is the case because of the ruse or the trick that Abraham tends to play on the kings that he deals with. It says in verse 20, verse 1, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and he dealt and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. And now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Now that was a regular thing for him to do, because if the woman was his sister, then then they would not kill Abraham and take her. They would marry her and they would have an alliance then with Abraham. And in this situation, in this situation, and as Sarah gets older, that's an important thing, especially considering who Abraham is. Abraham is a man with of great wealth. He is a man of, of a huge household. We've already seen many years before this that with just a little over 300 men, he defeated whole armies from northern cities of Israel and then on up into Assyria and Mesopotamia. He is a man of military might. He's a man of wisdom and strength. And the kings in that area wanted to be aligned with him. Even the king of Sodom wanted to have an alliance with him. He wanted to give him all of his possessions and just take back the people. Even Sodom, the king of Sodom understood that being aligned with Abraham was going to be an important thing, a good thing, and having a connection to him is important for his future. Same thing happens here. This king in the south, Abimelech, he wants to have an alliance with Abraham. And when he sees that Abraham has a sister, he takes her as his wife. He wants her to be his wife so that so that they can be brother-in-laws and so that he can have this key key person in the region be close to him. This the, these things still happen in many ways today. The aligning of families, the aligning of, of interest, the coming together of people to not only uh, build relationships between their family and friends, but build relationships so that they can pool resources 
to be uh, greater and stronger than they are. And that even happening in the church. That's one of the powerful things about the churches is God's people comes together and they, they have these bonds, these spiritual bonds, which uh, cause them to be aligned, cause them to look out for each other's best interest, cause them to help each other in times of need. And ultimately that brings about uh, the blessing and the increase of everyone in the body. And uh, that's what the church is all about. And you need to get that. You need to understand that. A lot of people say, I can worship God. I can worship God on, on my dock and I don't need to be in church. And you're right. You can worship God on the dock. You can worship God anywhere. You were made for worshiping God. The issue is, first of all, you can't worship him in the power that you worship him in the body. Because when we're two or more gathered, there he shows up and he shows up in power. He shows up for purpose. He shows up to build his kingdom. Second of all, you can't be totally within his will for too long sitting on the dock. And you go, why can't I? Because he said that you're not forsake the assembly. What does that mean? That means that you're not to not assemble yourself for worship. If you're available in this time for, and you're able to make it, and there are reasons why you can't at times in life, but if you're available to make it, you ought to assemble yourself. You ought to be there for worship. And that's a commandment of God in the New Testament. And it's important that we assemble ourselves for worship. Because why? Because there's power that shows up there. There is there's cleansing that happens there. There's strengthening that happens there. And there is purpose that is gained, not only individual purpose, but group purpose, a kingdom purpose. The kingdom of God, when it meets together, has, has real power that God comes down and gives us. And so it is really important that if you are able to assemble yourself, that you do and not do it on the dock with the, with the snakes and the frogs and the fishes. You need to assemble yourself together with God's people because there's great power in coming together as a group of people. And that's what happens here. That's what Adimimelech is wanting to do. He's wanting to align himself with Abraham. He has a desire that Abraham be close to him, be his brother-in-law, because Abraham is a man of great power, great influence, and he's also a man of God, and he's a man of strength. And so, as he said, he said, so tell him you're my sister. And Abimelech the king sent and took Sarah. What did he do? He sent for her. He wanted her to be his wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream. Now notice, God is speaking to Abimelech. God is speaking to Abimelech in, a, in an important way here, because he's speaking to him in dreams. Now, that doesn't happen. God doesn't speak to those who are not his. God speaks to those who are his. And especially when he's speaking warning or he's speaking instruction or he's giving them guidance, it's quite clear that Abimelech is a man of faith, a man who hears and a man who will hear what God has to say and act upon it. That's important. God's definitely not going to cast his pearl among swine. What does that mean? pearls among swine. He's not going to give knowledge and insight and information to those who are not going to use for, for his purposes. He's not going to do that. He'll just let them deal with the circumstances of their life as it comes, but he's not going to do that with, with people. He's going to talk to those who will hear him and will heed his voice and will act in faith according to him. And uh, that's important for you to understand. If you haven't heard from God in a while, if God's not speaking to your heart, in ways, if he's not opening doors, if you're not seeing him move in your life, it's likely because your heart is in such a place that you're not willing to do what God asked you to do. You're not willing to walk where God's asking you to walk or become who God's wanting you to become. And so he is, he's cut off the flow of information and he's cut off the flow of blessing. And the reason he's done that is because you're not listening.
you're not listening. And that is a dangerous place to be, uh, a place where you can't hear God because you're unwilling to listen to God. And that happens oftentimes a lot, even with God's people. God's not going to God's not going to be giving continually giving you the same information and the same advice, only to have you not use it and not act upon it fully as you ought. And he says, he says, but God said to Abimelech in a dream that night, said to him, Indeed, you are dead, a dead man, because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife or she has a husband. It can be translated both ways. What he's saying is you've taken somebody else's wife. And notice, notice uh, that was not something that was, was uncommon for people to steal people's wives. Like I said, that's one of the reasons Abraham had Sarah do this is so that he wouldn't be killed because what they did was they just take the woman and kill the man and then they'd have the woman. And But Abimelech did not do that. He sent for her. What does that mean? He asked that she come and be his wife, and she didn't kill. He didn't kill Abraham. He didn't just take what he wanted. Uh, and there's some question as to whether or not he could actually got that done, but or accomplished killing Abraham. But he didn't do that. He sent for Sarah to be his wife so that he could have this alliance or relationship with him. And then so he did it. That's what he did. He sent for he sent for him so that he could have a relationship with him. And uh, and that's what that's how it worked. He did it. And so it says, but Abimelech had not come near her. And notice, why had he not come near her? Why had he not consummated the marriage? Because the marriage was not a marriage that was going to be a physical marriage. The marriage was going to be a marriage of alliance, a marriage of tying people together and putting them in the in the same place as family members and friends. And that is what he's doing. He had not gone into her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also, or a righteous leader or a righteous man? This is that word nation has a little bit of, uh, we're not quite sure what that word means in its full context there. But what he's saying is, are you going to slay the righteous also? Are you going to slay me because I wasn't acting wrongly? I was acting rightly. I thought she was his sister. And I thought that I was doing something that was good. I was aligning myself with a godly man. And, and now I've been tricked. Are you going to do that? I'd like to stop for just a second and talk a little bit about oftentimes in our, we take, we, as we're dealing with people, we assume things about people because they're a little bit different from us. When I was growing up, I grew up in the Bible Belt back when the Bible Belt was the Bible Belt. And that this area of the world where you went to church and you uh, you did right and you learned God's word and and in some ways and in a lot of ways you were legalistic about it or you were taught to be legalistic about things and there were just certain things that weren't acceptable and certain lifestyles that were we were told were wrong. If my granddaddy was heavy into not having long and if a boy if a man had long hair there was something wrong with him and definitely and definitely you couldn't have a tattoo at all you couldn't you could if you had a tattoo you must have been some kind of heathen or you were in the navy at some point in time and i and when i say that i'm not joking a lot of people in the navy but during my grandfather's time and then after my grandfather served in the navy during world war ii he didn't get a tattoo but people in the navy did and that was just something that was just not acceptable there were just things back then that were not acceptable in all actuality the book of Leviticus says, don't tattoo yourself as a heathen does. But first of all, first of all, that's dealing with 
putting on religious tattoos that were not associated with God. They were associated with pagan gods. Second of all, and I was taught this as an adult, as actually as I got older and I still was against tattoos, I was taught, you know, that first of all, Chad, isn't that in the law? That's the Old Testament law. That's in the book of Leviticus. And I go, yeah, that's right. That's in the book of Leviticus. It is the law. And then, I, and then they go, and secondly, isn't that taking that out of context? Aren't you talking about religious tattoos? Not, aren't you talking about tattoos that have to do with pagan gods? And I go, yeah, that's probably pagan gods. See how I was in my raising, in my cultural position, I was making assumptions about people that wasn't true just because I didn't know who they were. And uh, I can remember going to uh, Princeton and uh, a lot of the football players were getting a Princeton Tiger putting on, put on their, their right posterior, I guess is the best way to describe it for Bible study purposes. They were put having a tattoo there. And the guys that I knew that were from the South, that was just, uh, we wanted to because it was cool, but we didn't want to. And I'm not telling you whether I did or didn't, but you just didn't have, you just didn't, you just didn't do that. But the truth is, there's nothing scripturally wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a tattoo. That's legalism. And uh, we don't live by the law. We live by the spirit. And uh, there's a lot of cultures where tattoos are very important to them and very important to uh, who they are. And in our culture in the South, a lot more people have tattoos today than they did back in the day. And uh, it's not an issue. It's not a, a scriptural issue like it was back then. It's, in fact, it's not a scriptural issue and it never really was. And I made assumptions about people who had tattoos that's not true or people that had long hair that was not true. The reason men are, are closely shaven and have, uh, have short hair in the military is because uh, your face mask won't seal to your face if you have facial hair or you have long hair in the back. And that's why you'll see women when they're in service, they don't have their hair down. Why? Because their, their gas mask doesn't seal properly. They always have their hair up when they're in, in uniform. The reason they do that is because it's not, it has nothing to do with some rule or some righteousness or goodness that comes from it. It has to do with practicality. If somebody attacks with gas, you want to be able to get your gas mask on. And trust me, I've had those gas masks tear me up and not get them on at the right time and suck in a whole lot of, whole lot of gas in my face and cough and I thought I was about to die. So you definitely want your gas mask to seal. And I'm going through this for a reason. There was an assumption about Bimelech that Abraham made, and that was that he was not a man, a godly man. And I don't know why he made that assumption. And he thought he needed to lie to him in order to, to protect himself. And the truth is he didn't because it's quite obvious. It's quite obvious. In verse five, he said, did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. He, what he's saying is, uh, he's talking to God. He's saying, I have not done wrong. I thought I was doing the right thing. And you're going to see, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. God said, you were doing the right thing. You weren't wrong. And, uh, excuse me. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's an important truth that we have to learn. Don't make assumptions about people until for sure. There's some clear things in scripture that God says that we should and should not be. And, and they're generally found in the New Testament. Romans chapter one has, has a lot of that in it. And there's several other passages, both written by Peter and written by Paul. And there's obviously the clear teaching of Jesus. There's things that clearly we can't be involved in as believers, but the things that are legalistic, the things that are, the things that are quite clearly not in scripture, 
and you have to walk, you have to choke down an elephant to swallow a gnat. You're just doing whatever you can to, to create some rule for somebody to live by. We can't live by those rules and we can't make assumptions about people that come from different, whole different areas of the world because even whole different areas of the United States, whole different areas of the United States have people that, that have cultural and family and even some of them religious. If you come from a Catholic background or you come from some other Protestant background that's a lot different than what's around here, you may even have other practices that are just not the same as around here. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with it because it's not forbidden by scripture and it's not, it's not, it's not an issue. We have freedom in Christ and that freedom is not a license to sin, but the New Testament will tell you the things that are against God's will, and the Holy Spirit will also. And uh, those things are clear and obvious, and everything else, everything else is permissible, the Bible says. And you have to just, you have to make sure that you don't, you don't assume things about people that are not necessarily true, especially in the times and the places we live in, where there are many people who come from many parts of the world that, that are moving in and looking for a place to worship God. And the way they do things and their idiosyncrasies that come from the places they come from are a healthy addition to the body of Christ. And they're, uh, they're something to build the body of Christ. Now, if they're involved in something that quite clearly is, is spelled out by scripture as something that we shouldn't be involved in, we'll deal with that. And we'll deal that biblical way. We'll deal that one-on-one and then take a brother and then deal with it in the church. But we're not going to deal with things that are Old Testament legalism. We're not going to deal with the rules made by men who, who that, by the way, we come up with those too. We're going to deal with things that are quite clearly scripturally ish, scriptural issues and uh, we're going to be truthful about them, and we're going to be straightforward about them, and we're going to let God, with all the other things, we're going to let God add to us in our numbers daily, because that's what the church is all about. The New Testament church in the book of Acts, he said, he said they added to their numbers each and every day. And uh, as you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.